WNBA Nation, how is it going? This is a special Friday episode we've got for today. It's been obviously a week full of all kinds of exciting news for the league between free agency and the like. But of course, we had uh, a bit of semi-color bombshell news release with the announcement of the $75 million capital raise uh, through various investors with the WNBA. There's a lot of excitement toward this news, uh, and we have a chance to bring on a special guest. So we wanted to put together a, a special late week episode uh, to, to really dive into this news. And I'm especially excited for this. We, uh, you know, it, I, I'll be honest with everyone. You guys know me. Um, I'm not the best money expert in the universe. I, I know things here and there. So we thought we'd bring in what I would say is probably the highest quality individual for this discussion. Uh, he's a professor of economics at Southern Utah University. Uh, you could follow him on Twitter at Wages of Wins. He is what I would say the preeminent expert of all things economics when it comes to sports, especially women's sports, um, and has been a very much a champion for discussing that world when it comes to the WNBA. It it was just for us, it made the most sense to bring you on. Uh, so David Barry, welcome to the show. We're, we're so excited to have a chance to chat with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. The news of this $75 million capital raise was obviously uh, pretty exciting news on face value as people had jumped up at this. I'm curious, when this came your way, what was your immediate response to it? And did that response shift at all between you as a fan of the WNBA and you as an economics expert? Well, I think think what what we need to understand about a, a sports league is it does take it does take time for sports leagues to develop uh, mm-hmm. you, you're asking people to develop emotional attachments to things that that technically don't actually exist there's no such thing as a minnesota lynx or a las vegas aces or uh, you know that those things don't they're, they're not real um, but you want people to be emotionally attached to them so that they will devote a lot of their time and a lot of their money uh, to following them. And you see that in, in, in other professional sports. There was a, uh, video the other day I saw of a man in Cincinnati crying because the Bengals finally reached the Super Bowl. And it's, you're like, uh, and, and you think about that in one level, it's like, okay, I, I, I get how that affects you. But on another level, it, it really isn't about you, right? Cause you're not going to the Super Bowl. That, that's a football team that you're not a part of. And and yeah. they may win or lose, but you're not winning or losing. You're just an observer. But that's not how the fans feel about it. The fans feel like it's them that that's who. That, mm-hmm. and, and for a sports league to develop, you have to get the fans to a point where that's how they feel that that the that the team they're following is their team, and when they win, they are happy, and when they lose, they are sad, and they spend their time thinking about it, and they. And and therefore that translates into them spending money, going to games, um, and also time spending it watching it on television. You gotta have that. And that's that's and that takes time to to develop and and it takes some level of resources. And so what this capital 
what this is about is providing the league with resources it needs uh, to improve its marketing campaign um, and to and to reach out as many fans as possible. Uh, and so and it also gives a signal to people. And this is another thing. This is this is something that I was very critical of uh, uh, in the past when I've written about WNBA is that the NBA because the NBA is their partner. The NBA would often, when you would write about the WNBA, they would actually insist to reporters uh, that that what be mentioned in articles about the WNBA is that WNBA is not profitable. Yeah. Uh, that is a terrifically bad approach uh, to promoting a league. Uh, mm-hmm. And the NBA was doing it because in their experience, and this experience goes back decades, uh, telling the media that a league is not profitable and the NBA has insisted that it's not profitable for decades uh, allows them to gives them an advantage in labor negotiations. And so the NBA was, was pursuing this line of publicity with an eye towards labor negotiations in an effort to keep wages low. Unfortunately, in a league that's not well-established, telling your fans that you're not making money prevents emotional attachments from being developed because I'm not going to spend my time following a team if I don't yeah. know the league is going to be there next year. Then I don't want to do that. Yeah, uh, and so It's a terrifically bad marketing plan. And, and so what you've seen with, with Kathy Engelberg taking over is – they stopped saying that. And now the, the focus mm-hmm. is let's establish this is a successful league. It's a league that's going to be there for a very, very long time. And so the $75 million investment sends that very clear signal that we're not going anywhere, that we yeah. are something that is successful. It is going to mm-hmm. keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that is going to allow more and more people to be willing to say, okay, then I'm willing to m- spend my time watching this, following this, becoming emotionally attached to it because I know you're not going to take it away from me tomorrow. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, it's interesting. You call out that example with a, with the Bengals fan and how it's natural for people to almost take ownership of their own teams. They're fans of you get the, we the I nomenclature and with the WNBA still, you know, you can very much consider it a young league. I think a lot of W fans do that with the league in general, even just beyond their own teams. It's something that, as a as a support level, there's an investment level. So the response to that, I think, definitely reflects on on that end. I, your something you said really called back a, a, a moment with Kathy Engelbert that I think brings a lot of thought and attention to this in terms of the message that I think investors have sent with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in regards to an interview she did with Cheryl Reeve, where Cheryl Reeve talked about the importance of you know we need. NBA, you know, owners to continue to, you know, financially support the league and jump in. I think it was Engelbert who challenged it and said, basically, we don't necessarily need to lean on the support. It, you know, the health of this league is not going to lean on the support of NBA owners. We can find, you know, support in various ways. And I, I feel like this is definitely an answer to that in, in when you look at the vast range of where this capital raise is coming from, the level of people who are are supporting it and reaching out to it. That's really what excited me. Um, that was kind of the metric that stood out to me was um, how variant the the names we've heard of who's supporting this. Uh, because I think anyone can take the base number, that 75 billion, and and fudge it however they want to believe it. They can 
use it as reason to say this is extremely huge and successful. There are people that are going to say, oh, this is nothing compared to what other leagues get, whatever you want to say. Um, but for me, seeing it, you know, anywhere from you have, you know, former athletes, you have current NBA and WNBA team uh, front office people, you have, you know, Lauren Powell Jobs, Steve Jobs, Widower, Condoleezza Rice is involved. That's something that really stood out to me. I think a lot of people can look essentially at that $75 million number and on base value, a lot of people can be really excited about that number. There's some people that could probably even take it and mitigate its impact. From your expect your perspective in with uh, okay. just finances, so, yeah, economics, I, I, is there an additional metric that really speaks to how valuable I, I this announcement is? I think people have have difficulty with this with this comparison because they keep comparing, you know, the NBA uh, to um, to to a league that um, uh, to to something that would have would have uh, to the, to the NBA, which has been around for you know seventy five years, and you can't make that kind of a comparison. Yeah, um, that's that's not that's not a comparison that makes any sense. Uh, you have to put this in, in some kind of, of perspective. Um, and, uh, and, and so the WNBA, when you look at, at their attendance and you look at their television ratings and you look at, you know, where they're at after 25 years, they're, they're at least as successful as the NBA was after 25 years. Um, and, and they are, they are pretty much right where they're supposed to be in terms of the growth of the league. Uh, and, and so, so when people sit there and say, well, you're not, you know, the NBA is, is worth nine billion and, and your league is is maybe worth a hundred or two million. Um, or or that they said, you know, the, the whole the whole league is worth a billion. Uh and NBA teams are worth more than a billion. Yeah, that, that would make sense. The NBA's been around for 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 seven decades or so, and 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 the WBA has only been around for twenty-five years. If you go back if you go back to you know the late nineteen sixties or, or in the seventies and you look at what NBA teams sold for and the fact that NBA teams, um, um, you know, the, the, you know, as late as, as the mid 1980s, the Indiana Pacers sold for $4 million. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, that's where the NBA was at. It was not a very big league. Uh, and it was not very popular. People, people don't know that. Uh, it, 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 this is something that, 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 that we're going to see over the next, you know, 30, 40 years or so, you know, when the, when the WNBA gets to a point where it's 60, 70, 80 years old, and it's, and it, it'll be at that point, a much bigger entity, you're going to see people are going to revise the history of this. And yeah. they're going to go back and they're going to talk about these major stars that existed in the past. And they're mm-hmm. going to talk about Asia Wilson and Elena Deladon and, and Sue Bird and Candace Parker uh, and they're going to talk about these stars in the way they talk about people like Oscar Robertson and Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain today. And they're going to make it sound like everybody at that time knew who these people were and knew how famous they were. And they were so amazing. And that's what they're going to say. And and at that point, you and I will be, be a lot older and you'll hear mm-hmm. somebody younger. You'll hear a new player come along at that time and they'll say that player is like Candace Parker. And you'll be like, the hell the hell she is. Are you nuts? Yeah. You ever see Candace Parker? What the hell's that? that? OK, she's nowhere near Candace Parker. <laughs> and yeah. you're going to have those conversations and, and people are going to be doing that. And and there's going to be this revisionist history going on. 
the same way it happens in the NBA. And people are not going to remember, okay, Will Chamberlain wasn't seen by very many people. When Will Chamberlain scored 100 points in a game, he scored it in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And they had the game in Hershey, Pennsylvania because the NBA was desperate to find fans anywhere. So they were moving games all over the place to find fans because there were no fans. There was no television coverage of that game. There was no radio coverage of that game. And the only thing the sporting news, which was the nation's sports newspaper, said about it was one little paragraph on like page 40 of the of the newspaper saying, by the way, Will Chamberlain scored 100 points in an NBA game. Nobody cared. It was and that was a yeah. league that was 15 years old. Nobody came to it. Nobody cared. And people look back yeah. on it and they're like, you know, well, that player is like Will Chamberlain. That player is like Bill Russell. That player is like, you know, it's like, okay, nobody saw those players. Yeah. And and so NBA fans today, when they when they, you know, you can't compare the WNBA to a to a league that's 70 years old because it's not 70 years old. You got to compare it to a league that's 20. And if you were to go back and, and look at $75 million investment and adjust that for, you know, inflation, what that would have meant um, to the NBA after 25 years, that would have been huge. Somebody's yeah. going to invest that kind of money. Um, that's phenomenally huge. Absolutely. I, you know, it's a couple of thoughts that I'd had on that was to talk to my father, who's, I, I consider, I think everyone considers their parent a sports historian if they like sports at all. But, you know, he used to always talk to me about different Laker teams, the 87 Lakers. I remember him talk, talking to him about how he like felt when Magic Johnson hit a winning hook shot in game six of that finals. And he, one thing he told me that's always stuck with me and, and it, it, listen to your context adds so much more to it. So he said, I was especially excited because we got to watch it because back then, even for the finals, it was not a guarantee you were going to get to watch a game on TV if it wasn't at home. And since games four and five were in Boston, if the Lakers clinched the title in Boston, that's, it wasn't a guarantee we were going to see that on television. So the fact that we got to game six and we got to actually see it made it all the, all the more interesting. And this is when the league is, you know, we talk now about network spots and availability in the league's 26th month season. And this is when the MNBA is in its what 32nd season, uh, something to that effect or, or nearing its 30th season at this point, it, it, you know, it has that idea of volumes of, you know, these are things that young leagues go through and deal with. And, you know, I, the idea of, you know, another thing I remember my dad even saying was, cause he used to talk to me about how the seventies and eighties college, you know, early eighties college basketball was the show. It was, that's what people watched. That's what people showed up for. So for instance, Magic Johnson having one year essentially at Michigan state and then leaving for the league to some people felt like a retirement because he was never going to have a, as many people in the arena to watch him play as he did in Lansing. Uh, it was, it almost felt yes. like it could be a risk because you're, you're going to the not sure thing. And it's always an interesting, like it, it has similar veins of stories of the W at the same age. You know, it's kind of like you said, it's the lifeline of what these leagues go through. So I think a part of this investment with with the league is, like you said, it it helps us feel comfortable and stable in the longevity of the league, allowing it to incubate because with that incubation is where growth is going to come. Yeah. You think about, you know, the career of of Asia Wilson, who um, she's at South Carolina. Uh, When she shows up at South Carolina, their attendance doubles. Uh, she leads them to a, to a national championship. Uh, they erect a statue to her. 
And then she goes to Las Vegas Aces. And and yes, she's a star in the WNBA and she was, you know, league MVP, but she will never be. I don't think she'll ever be the star in the WNBA that she is in South Carolina. Right. Because that pro, I mean, I, maybe the aces will, will put up a statue to Asia Wilson at some point, but they already did it in South Carolina and they did it like, you know, two years after she left. So, so I mean, and that's, yeah. and that's exactly, you know, women's college basketball right now is the third highest revenue sport in college basketball. And the revenue that women's college basketball now generates is equivalent to what men's college basketball was generating in, in the 1990s, late 1990s. So that's, mm. that's well past where Magic Johnson was, you know, 20 years earlier. That's how big women's college basketball has become. So it's, it's a major, major sport. Uh, and these women become celebrities in women's college basketball, right? And people watch them in the final four and then they go to the WNBA and you know, you take a player like, like Kelsey Plum, when she goes from starring in college to going to the WNBA, if you look at, you know, the cost of attending her university, which is, you know, essentially her wage to play college basketball, uh, she almost took a pay cut to go to the WNBA. I mean, that's how little they were paying her. Uh, and, and so, you know, because it's such a smaller entity, uh, the, you know, the WNBA is, 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 is is still uh, in terms of revenue, uh, still a very tiny institution. Uh, Southern Utah University brings in as much revenue in a year as the WNBA does, mm-hmm. uh, and and so it's that's that's how big the WNBA is. Yeah, and I think uh, to to tie to that, even on a macro scale, looking at this seventy five million dollar investment, I think you say a lot of players, coaches, or you know, organizations have a motivation to continue working hard, playing hard, because if we continue to put out a stellar product, this, this only has potential to grow. It's that idea of, okay, we're seeing where this goes. And I think for a lot of people, it comes down to the excitement of the dollar amount and that news as it starts to wane down. The next question obviously comes down to, okay, but what, where are we taking this? What is this going toward? And I guess my thought process here is if, if you David put on the commissioner cap, if, Kathy Engelbert allows you to have that mantle for a bit. What what do you think are the best ways to utilize this funding overall to to best grow the league? Well, I don't think she can do this um, or that she's <laughs> willing to do this. But the thing that needs to change in the WNBA, uh, the most important thing that they have to change, and and and. Mark Davis, the owner of the Aces, actually said just this yesterday. Uh, we have to change player pay. Uh, you've got yeah. to get to a point where WNBA players only play in the WNBA and do not play in leagues elsewhere. And for that to happen, you have to change what you're paying the players. And they already have the revenue in place to do that. Uh, you know, Conservatively, I think their revenue is at least $70 million, which means if they were giving 50% of that to the players, which is, you know, supposedly what the NBA, Major League Baseball does, that's $35 million that you contribute to player pay. Um, right now they're paying about 18 million in salaries. Yeah. Players. Doubling the pay of the players. And if you, and if you made it so that it was, so that it was, the way in which the pay was was 
was given out was following the same distribution as the NBA. And I've written about this before. Your top players would all be getting paid a million dollars a piece or yeah. close to a million dollars. And if you did that and said, look, I'm going to pay you a million dollars or $800,000 or $600,000 to play in the WNBA. But the deal is you can only play in the WNBA. This is yeah. your league. And that way you force the players to not only devote all of their attention to the WNBA, but also they're around in the off season to promote the league. You don't have this embarrassing outcome when the Washington Mystics win a, Mystics win a, win a title. Um, you can't have a parade because the players are contractually obligated to leave immediately for European sports. Um, and so that to me is, is, the most important thing. And, and they are, they are going to, from what I understand, renegotiate television deal, mm-hmm. which is ridiculously low. Uh, they're only paid $25 million a year by ESPN to broadcast their games, which is yeah. ridiculous. So that's, uh, you know, imagine, that's very low ball. Yeah. Imagine that contract goes to a hundred million. Now, now your league revenue is 150 million. Yeah. Now you can up to pay to 75 million for the entire league. As opposed yeah. to 18 million. So now, now you're tripling the pay. Yeah. Cause I was um, thinking, I was just thinking how like the WWE a couple of years ago signed a multi-billion dollar contract to put their like side second most popular show on Fox. Yes. And that was a multi-billion dollar contract. So to hear 25 million for context for people, that's an extremely, extremely low price point. Uh, it is. When it, it comes is. to TV it deals. And, and the NBA negotiated it. Um, and, 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 and this is, you know, this is a problem with their NBA partner. Uh, the NBA, you know, there are people in the, in the NBA who historically did not value the WNBA at all. And that's why they negotiated that because they didn't care and they didn't really try very hard. Uh, and so, um, and so this is the, this is the, this is, you know, this has been an historic problem, but, but you got to get to a point where the players are simply playing in the WNBA uh, because right now, as it stands, you know, you have players who are conflicted. Uh, European sports leagues are willing to pay more. Um, and, and players, players in the, in the WNBA have come out and said this. They said, look, um, you know, WNBA is not my primary job. My primary job is playing in Europe because they're the people who pay me. Uh, Liz Cambage has said that, you know, why, yeah. why am I playing in a league? where the coach is going to make four times as much as I make. And I'm yeah. paying out of my pocket to upgrade my seat so that I can actually take a flight. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that has to be fixed. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, 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 and you have to see that as your asset as your players, you got to make sure that they are the ones that, that you're investing in. Um, yeah. You know, not that this 75 million is not going to go to that. But but if you're thinking about building the league, to me, the most pressing problem you have is you have to get the players paid a level where they're only doing the WNBA and they're no longer going around. If you want to be the premier league in the world, you can't have your players playing someplace else. Yeah, I know that. I know the NWSL especially, but women's sports organizations in general have had that no side hustles kind of mentality. But honestly, the other perspective is, We've heard Diana Taurasi on live streams call the WNBA her side hustle. That like her real money, you know, her, you know, Ekaterinburg contracts are what had paid for her house and, and things of that nature. And it's just, those are discussions, you know, those are things you have to, to work away from. And it's that idea of you can spin 
those that time a player has in the Euro League, however you want, uh, you know, time for them to get exposure, evaluate their game, whatever. What it comes down to in any other industry is they have to work two jobs. And it's and in any other industry, if you have to work two jobs, something needs to be fixed. And I think we've always stood on that level of, of yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge thing that needs to be played with that. You talked about that TV deal. I wonder if one, I think these types of pieces of growth are a big reason why Kathy Engelbert is such a, a endemic fit as a commissioner right now. I have to imagine she's very hungry to get into that negotiating room ahead of the NBA itself to be able to say, like, let me do this business because, you know, when it's out of our hands, obviously, it's almost not in our best interest. I don't know if that thought makes any sense, but I, I feel like the timing of her joining on as commissioner is very much uh, not a coincidence in terms of, you know, when she's saying we, our goal is not to lean on investment from the NBA. We need to find that investment on our end. So we have the ability to control this more. Um, I think is a, a big emotional boon for fans of the WNBA to be able to say like, let us take this as far as we can take it. Um, you know, I, I, I yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't know if it's a question, it's just observation, but. They do have oh, to get sorry. away. Yeah, they have to get away from the NBA. I mean, the NBA, mm-hmm. um, because the NBA, the problem with the NBA is that there, there's just entities in the NBA who clearly are not supporting the WNBA like they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just can't, and you can't have them doing the negotiating for you because this is the same thing that happened in, in, in NCAA sports is that the deal that they made for women's college basketball to be on television was a terrifically bad deal as well. Um, yes. And as a consequence, you know, and, and, and so, you know, when when you have men negotiating on behalf of women and the men don't truly value what the women are doing, uh, that leads to these sort of outcomes. And 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 it's not that everyone in the NBA doesn't support the WNBA, but there are certainly people who work for the NBA who don't. Um, and they see the they see the WNBA as a and they they they. They constantly say things like WNBA's always lost money or things like that, yeah. which, I, by the way, I, I find that hard to believe. I don't think that's necessarily true. Uh, there, there is there is a problem in when you think about uh, sports accounting. Uh, a lot of people don't really seem to understand how accounting works. Yeah, uh, there's a reason why accounting is a subject that is taught. Uh, and the way people think about accounting is that. Any when a firm says I made a profit or I made a loss, they think any accountant would look at those same financial numbers and come to exactly that same conclusion. And if that were true, we would have no accounting field because that's a computer program. I wouldn't need yeah. to hire an accountant. That's not how accounting works. <laughs> accounting yeah. is is you look at the numbers, and uh, one of our faculty does auditing, and the way he he explained it to me, he says when I audit a company. What I say is that the company has asserted the following mm-hmm. about their financial numbers. And then his job as an auditor is to say, well, is it, are you okay doing that? Is that legally okay to say it that way? Can you yeah. do that? Um, and, and depending on your objectives of what you're trying to accomplish, you will, you will present your numbers in different ways. Um, and so, you know, when the NBA says, Hey, we don't make money. Okay, well, how did you come to that conclusion? And would somebody else looking at those same financial numbers agree with you that that's actually what it says? Yeah, uh, and that's why I think the 
the thing that's been frustrating sometimes with you get that half-hearted response from naysayers or you could call them trolls online. Oh, well, the WME doesn't make money. No one watches it. No one cares. But it's what's been frustrating over the years is that the NBA, I would say, has perpetuated some of that discussion in not, you know, coming from a real perspective of saying in terms of valuation, why would this league exist for 26 years? Why we've had a lot of leagues, men or women who rose and fell within a few years. And why, if you're saying you're losing money straight up on this rate, then why would we just, you know, keep that type of investment afloat? There's clearly other metrics that play that role. And that's something that I've always felt in terms of the only thing I can do, because I'm, believe me, I would never try to put myself on the mantle of a financial expert by any means. But for me as a, as a fan and someone who's watched sports his whole life, there's value. There are valuations you can feel. You can really sense a buzz when there is growth, when there is interest, when there is buzz, and that does exist. And that's something that a failing league that that doesn't exist in that sense. And that's kind of where I've always taken it. Probably because that's the only place that I I really can. Um, I I do want to switch this. I I, I know we're uh, getting really short in our time here. I, I did want to switch this really quick. Uh, from one perspective of you talked about the importance of investing this money into player pay, which is absolutely correct for my viewpoint. Um, but a lot of discussion right now for changes in the league, obviously expansion is such a huge discussion. Um, and I think that there's different levels of changes that center around this. There's team expansion. There's, there's, you know, player expansion in terms of how many players can sit on a team there's extending the schedule, you know, having more games, potentially moving when that schedule is throughout the year. Um, it, is there from from a lot of those types of changes? First of all, I, I feel like Kathy Engelbert has been uh, very strategic in how she's addressed expansion to say, essentially, from what I'm seeing, you know, this this obviously is important, but this isn't a move we're just going to rush ourselves into because it feels like there's a groundswell of support for it. We have to make the right decision from your perspective of those different metrics that surround expansion. Is there one that stands out? Like let's get this changed right away. Is it expansion or is it a different piece of, of that puzzle that we need to dive into with expansion, maybe being more of a long-term change? I I definitely think they should expand fairly quickly. It's, It's you only have 12 teams. Uh, the league definitely at this point should be bigger than it is. Uh, the NBA certainly, I think was, well, the NBA was at eight teams after 25 years or roughly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did expand very rapidly in the seventies. Um, and the, and the WNBA should be doing the same thing. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, and, and they should be expanding the rosters. I mean, they should definitely make it so that you have, you know, 12 to 15 players. It, it shouldn't be the case that you are drafting players uh, in the first round who can't find roster spots or have struggle to make a team. Um, I mean, that's, you know, you, you have a, there's a lot of talent out there that, that can't find its way in the WNBA um, simply because there's no roster spots. And, and, and the thing is, is, is the example I would use uh, is think about a player like Draymond Green, uh, mm-hmm. second round pick for the Warriors. Um, if the, if the NBA was the same size as the WNBA, Draymond Green never has an NBA career. Never. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he's like the 37th choice. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's not, that's late third round 
undrafted free agent. Those kind of players don't make WNBA rosters. Um, and if you, and, and, you, and people might say, but he's, you know, he eventually becomes one of the top players. Well, you're never going to see that. You're never going to get to the point where you can find that out because he can't even get out of a training camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it took, it did take Draymond Green some time to establish himself in the NBA. And you have these players out there who might become very, very good WNBA players, but they're never getting the chance to do that because the rosters and the teams are so small. Um, that, mm-hmm. that, that they don't have any opportunity to do that. So, so, so that's a, that's a real problem. I think that you're, that yeah. you need to expand the league. Um, and there's markets out there that you need to be in. Um, yeah. and so, so I, I think that's, that's a big issue is, is, is league expansion is, is important to do that. You have to, you also have to convince, you know, this is another thing I, I emphasize a lot. Um, owners have to understand it's a long-term investment. Um, you can't be looking, you can't be looking at your profit loss statement, um, in a league that's 25 years old. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the major men's sports teams, those, those, you know, they were very small for a very long time and they were not tremendously profitable for a very long time. Um, yeah. you own a team because you're emotionally attached to the sport and you wish to participate in it. Um, you don't, you don't buy a sports team like you're buying a, a McDonald's franchise. Um, this is yeah. not a fast food restaurant. This is not a cardboard factory. Uh, mm-hmm. It is not something that you simply invest in because it makes money. You invest in it because, hey, I really like this form of entertainment and I wish to be a part of it. Um, and mm-hmm. when you take that perspective, uh, then you don't sit there and say, I, you know, it bothers me that I lost a million dollars last year or I only made a million dollars. That's that becomes irrelevant to you. Um, you're it doesn't make a difference. I, I don't care about that. There, there's a reason why there, there, if you think about men's sports, there's a reason why they they were putting in things like they put in things like salary caps. It's not mm-hmm. just done to depress salaries. And that is one reason why they do it. They do it to depress salaries. But the NBA put in a system where you had to pay an an exploding luxury tax as you went beyond the salary cap. And the Nets 10 years ago went so far beyond the luxury tax that they paid more in luxury tax penalty than they paid their players. And, and, and the Russian oligarch who owned them says, I don't care if you have to pay a hundred million dollars extra or $200 million extra. I want to win a championship. Now, of course he didn't know how to do that, but, but that was his thinking. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and, that why do they do that? Because to them, winning is what matters. I don't care how much it costs me. And you gotta yeah. get players in the WNBA who have that same mentality. Yeah. I just want to win. I don't care what this costs me. Yeah, I think there were two, kind of two examples that immediately popped in my mind. One is I'm I'm an LA native and I'm a Dodger fan, and it was that example of you know the Boston Red Sox weren't willing to offer Mookie Betts this huge contract because of tax issues, and the Dodgers basically said like, we'll pay whatever fine we have to. We need to get this guy in our team, they turn around and win a championship. And it's that, it's that mindset of at some point you need to, to under, you know, what's, what's this investment actually matter to you. Another good example to me, honestly, is, you know, with the, the Vandersloot talk recently, I think back to the season that, um, you know, UMMC paid out Diana Taurasi's WNBA contract. So she could sit out a year of the WNBA. And it's that same idea of like, basically what's your price? Like, what can we pay you? To not play here so that you're ever ready to play for us. And, you know, I, I think that 
those types of investment do speak dividends. I think a lot of Mark Davis's recent comments were a pleasant surprise to me in saying like, you know, talking about Liz Cambage's comments, like I, she's right. We, we have to be doing this. And I think in his way, it's him kind of turning and saying like, my hands are tied. Like if I could put this money toward this, like you, I would, I could do it for, for, a, for our coach. I'd like to do it for our players. And that's, you know, an encouraging thing to hear and something that, as you look at ownership, makes a lot of sense. I, I do have one question on expansion is to say, I look at 2000 when the WNBA quickly expanded from 12 to 16 teams and at three years post that two of those teams folded. That's when Utah moves to San Antonio, Orlando moves to Connecticut. And then you see that long kind of carousel of teams either folding or relocating that kind of runs all the way until the aces move to Vegas and now we've seen the longest gap pretty much of that time, I believe, in between any sort of relocation or anything like that happening. I This most likely isn't something on Kathy Engelbert's mind, but is, is there anything in your mind of thinking that someone might have trepidation to push expansion? Because in a way, that large expansion 20 years ago didn't work out as planned and it kind of set off this powder keg of you know, get the WME getting its bearings back and making sure they have 12 teams that are sound organizations. Um, does that past history haunt people in a way when they think about this or, or do you just think there's other metrics at play? Well, when it comes to history of early sports leagues, the stat that I often tell students is uh, in the early history of the NFL, which is the most successful sports league in the history of humanity. Uh, in the first uh 10, 12 years of that league, there were 45 franchises and 90% of them completely went out of business. Mm -hmm. uh, it is simply not uncommon for sports leagues uh, when they are young to see relocation and teams fail. That's not uncommon. I would, I would also point out that some of those failures were a result of owners simply not understanding what they were investing in. Uh, there is a story that, that someone sent me um, uh, where the owner of the Portland Fire uh, actually said when this person gave up after one year or two years, uh, he said, I thought we'd be profitable after the first year. And mm -hmm. my response to that is, well, that's insane. Why would you think in a league that is four years old that your team was going to be phenomenally <laughs> successful? After four, a league after any investment. <laughs> that's just, almost that's any just business investment. ridiculous that you thought yeah. that. That is insane. Clearly, you don't understand anything about sports business. Maybe you shouldn't be investing in something that you don't understand. Yeah. Because uh, there is no history where that actually I'm, happened. There, NBA yeah. teams were not phenomenally successful after four If I'm years. opening a Starbucks, I'm not expecting that. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's so almost this is, yeah. that, this is just, just very so, – so some of that, that failure initially um, is, is, is I think David Stern yeah. was thinking that, that – people understood how a sports business works and that this uh, is a long-term investment. Um, and unfortunately he had owners who didn't understand what they were getting into and, 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 and what was really lacking there. And this is, this is, and I've said this before too, and this is crucial. The owner has to be emotionally invested. You have to, you have to want to win and you have to want to be the owner and you have to be, and, and, and the way I want to see owners and, and if they expand, uh, you own a team, you're, you're at every game and you're sitting in the front row and you're invested in what's going on. Uh, just like Mark Cuban is, uh, because you have, th this is, this, this is something you care about. 
Um, and if, if you're not at the games yeah, uh, and you're treating this like I just bought a Taco Bell, uh, then, okay, then I don't think you're serious about this. And I don't yeah. think, because a sports league requires you to do that. Now, you have to understand, and I think owners need to get this. It's a long-term investment that eventually pays off in a business where, unlike every other business, it is almost impossible to fail at eventually. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the great example is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Steelers are founded in 1933 in the midst of the Great Depression in a league where, again, 90% of the teams had failed. Um, they're, they're created by Art Rooney for $15,000. Uh, he owns the team for 40 years and they win. They go to one playoff game in 40 years. They go to one playoff game where they don't score any points. So Art Rooney never sees a playoff point until 1972 uh, when he's an old man. And he yeah. kept throwing money into that team. He kept investing in it. He kept doing it. And now his grandson has that team. It's worth well over multiple billions of dollars. And at this point, it is impossible for the Steelers to fail, right? They can't, their fan base is huge. Uh, if the Steelers were to go through another 40 year drought of not winning any playoff games, 40 years from now, the Steelers would still have fans and they would still be making money and they would still be doing yeah. well. Uh, just like the Detroit Lions. Um, and, yeah. and you, but you have to get your fans to a point. You have to get a fan base to a point where they're, they're so addicted. That no matter what product yeah. you serve them, they will keep coming back. And that's what sports yeah. is. That's what you're, that's what you're building. Yeah. I was going to say, I think the only thing that's really threatened the Steelers from that perspective is Bane showing up and destroying their stadium and, and the Dark Knight Rises at this point. Um, basically, you know, a Batman joke, but, um, no, and I, I love that perspective. I think it comes down to, it's not necessarily, uh, risk of expansion, but it, it's finding the right expansion, finding those right owners. Well, you know, I, I'm out of Utah myself. I think, I would love to see a WMA team back in Utah. And I think you look at Ryan Smith, who just bought the jazz, just bought real salt Lake has been very bullish about the Royals FC need to make a comeback. That's important to us. It's a part of our business model with taking on our, you know, RSL. And I think that's that type of energy that in my head goes, I think the reality of something like the WNBA back in Utah isn't so far fetched. If you find the right investment, the right owners, the right people who, who understand that sports investment, you know, era, I think that makes a lot of sense. I commonly say like the Houston Comets would still exist if they weren't handed over to a whack job mattress store owner, uh, you know, who had weird commercials and, and gave up after a year or two because you, the same exactly what you said. Like, I thought this was just going to be, you know, a money train. And, um, you know, it's it, so there's a lot of, I think, factors that play those roles, which is interesting. We've kept you for well over the allotted amount of time. I have absolutely loved this conversation. I really appreciate uh, the time that we've had to share this with you. I think just, I really only have one last question as we look at the, the news of this investment, which is a lot of uh, terminology I've been hearing as investors themselves have been responded. They've been sharing, using the phrase like this round of investment, like this round of fundraising. Where do you see this type of capital investment going down the future? How, how much more? Uh, in the near future, can you see this expanding and rising? I mean, you talked about with TV deals and whatnot, but you know, if you look at say a five-year plan for the WNBA, how how much growth expansion and capital do you think is oh, really I, on the I, table I, for them? I, I, I would I would imagine this isn't this is just the beginning. Um, yeah, you know, the WNBA is is definitely 
I, I think it's it's taking off. And I think that the most important thing we should we should take from all of that is that um, the people who um, were having to respond to the trolls and and by the way, you know, everything the trolls were saying about the WNBA losing money, they were hearing from the NBA. Um, yeah, exactly. The, the important thing that we should focus on and thinking about that you know, as the WNBA takes off and they get more investment, they keep getting bigger, is that we will all be able to say, I told you so for the rest of our lives. And that's the important thing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, um, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to sit down and, and go over all of this with us. This has been phenomenally fascinating. Um, and we really appreciate your time. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to, to share out, uh, you know, any call it anywhere that we can find you online and, um, you know, just anything else you'd like to say before we put a bow on our discussion? No, I think, I think we've covered everything. I think we've, 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 I think we've, we've, we've talked about everything here. So I think this is, this has been a great conversation. It's been great talking. Absolutely. I have, uh, I have really, really loved this. So again, David Barry, you can follow him over on Twitter at wages of wins. Um, and, uh, uh, you may see some of his work, some of his writings, you know, throughout the internet zeitgeist. So definitely keep an eye on that. We'll be a great resource as we continue to see the growth of the league. And David, thank you so much for your time. This has been an absolute pleasure. All right. It's been great talking to you guys. You as well. Well, there you have it, WNBA Nation fans. Thank you for sticking around for that episode. Hopefully you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed recording it. Again, a huge thank you goes out to David Barry. Uh, for his time and expertise and insight and uh, all the wonderful things you just enjoyed. So uh, we appreciate him. Again, You, if you want more content, uh, he's pretty active over on Twitter. So you can find him at Wages of Wins. That's at Wages of Wins. Uh, and if you want to connect with us, if you're new to the show, go ahead and, uh, over to Twitter. You can find us at WNBA Nation Pod. We're the same on Facebook, uh, but we are much more active over on Twitter. So if you want to get in touch with us, you can shoot us a DM, tag us, do whatever you want to do. Just see what we're posting. We try to to accumulate most of the relevant WNBA news. We won't claim to have everything, but we try to get most of it uh, in one feed. So if you want to check that out again, that's at WNBA Nation Pod. If you want to be a part of our recordings, we record our episodes live on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash WNBA Nation. You can give us a follow. Uh, and if you're an Amazon Prime member, you can subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything. It throws a couple of dollars our way. And if you're not an Amazon Prime member or if you've already used that on someone else, you can subscribe for a few bucks. And that really helps us out to support the show. Last but not least, if you want to check out some merch, head over to WNBANation.StoreEnvy.com and we can hook you up with some good merch. we got t-shirts, mugs, socks, uh, all sorts of different things over there, so feel free to check that out. Uh, but we really appreciate it, uh, and again, we appreciate David Barry and taking the time to be on the show with us. So for WNB Nation, I'm Jason Snow, and we got you next time.